The origin story is as simple as the message. Here's a quote. Unlike cancer, malaria, and other problems that have sent thousands of smart people searching frantically for a cure, dirty water already has one. And if you weren't married to a single kind of intervention, there were countless ways to eradicate dirty water and improve the lives of millions of people. End quote. There's the voice of Scott Harrison, the founder of Charity Water, and this is a quote from his new best-selling book, Thirst. And so it began in 2006 with a bank account overflowing with $1,100, founded by a 31-year-old club promoter who knew Jack about nonprofits. Let's fast forward three to 2010. We've got a staff of 15 and an organization that is growing rapidly. There's this special event consultant. She's got expertise. They decide she should become the executive producer. I don't even know what the heck that means. And from there, the executive producer changes roles again and again. And today, in 2019, a decade later, she is the chief operating officer of an organization closing in on a staff of 100 that over its 12-year lifespan has raised $362 million for water projects and operations. Wow. Now, this could have been a podcast about charity water. Could have been about the role of a COO at a nonprofit, but nah, I decided I wanted to go a different route because I can feel the questions you as nonprofit leaders are asking. You want to know how an organization could grow so rapidly, right? You're intrigued about how you staff up, how you take the necessary time to hire the right people. And if we think about Charity Water as a startup social enterprise, who do we need on the bus, especially when your founder is a club promoter who knew Jack about nonprofits? Am I right? Yeah, I thought so. So enough monologue for me. It's time for a good conversation. Welcome to Nonprofits Are Messy. Not enough money, too many cooks, and abundance of passion. Leading nonprofits isn't easy. Joan Gary, author, blogger, and founder of the Nonprofit Leadership Lab gets it. She is here to help. My guest today is Lauren Letta. She's the Chief Operating Officer at Charity Water. Departmental oversight may be the crux of the COO role at any organization, but what makes Lauren's role unique is the way she bridges seemingly disparate aspects of Charity Water. Everything from the engineering expertise of the water projects to state-of-the-art technology used by website development to the external branding and visibility through marketing to work in tandem towards one single goal to bring clean water to as many people as possible. She first joined Charity Water in 2009 as a consultant, drawn in by the organization's creative startup approach to solving a humanitarian crisis. She began in social events, special events, which in my mind is a very short ride to branding. Since then, Lauren's role has expanded to include building a team and a culture that values excellence. She also oversees major campaigns, special projects, and production, and she remains as committed to the mission of the organization as she was the day she joined. Maybe more. Prior to joining Charity Water, Lauren worked in fashion and events, managing global campaigns for brands like Warner Brothers, Saks, and Swarovski. Outside the office, Lauren enjoys exploring the New York City pizza scene with her husband and young daughter, which is probably some other podcast host wants to grab her about the pizza thing. Lauren, thanks a lot for joining me. Thank you. It is so 
fun to be here. I can't wait. Yeah, that's what we, we try to do the fun thing. So <laughs> in our conversation this week, when I talked with Lauren, I confirmed that Lauren is actually not like any other COO I know. She's not a trained human resources professional. If she's a CPA, she didn't tell me. Um, I'm expecting that she can figure out that the CEO, to tell the CEO on the board that the numbers are in audit, in order, but I suspect she's no serious expert in the world of auditing. Now, her, mar- her background in marketing and branding prepared her for messaging, clearly an asset in any organization, and I believe that special events management background is awesome because it prepares you for the unexpected, which is clearly a golden skill in the nonprofit. Okay, so that leaves us with a question then, Lauren. <laughs> what the hell kind of COO are you? <laughs> uh, it's a great one. Yeah, I love it. I, I love that. Thank you. <laughs> it's a great question. I asked myself that too. Um, you know, I could go so many directions with this, but I'm such a firm believer and it's much about your experience and your expertise as it is about the way that you lead or communicate or work, um, your approach, um, your alignment within values. And, you know, so the type of COO I am, I do think is informed by, by my history and my career pre, pre charity water and pre nonprofit, which certainly was events driven, but there's something, you know, event is a manifestation of a brand. Um, it was, I also worked with brands and the, the, the through line throughout is that I've always worked with creative, innovative, disruptor, disruptive founders. Um, and whether that was in fashion or in an agency, um, there's been this connection to me to, to people and leaders who are willing to, to ask questions and also who have a deep set of values that are shown from inside out. And so I like to think about my role as COO at Charity Water kind of tied to the same concept of the reason my role is so hybrid, both in terms of internal operations, things about who do we hire? How do we retain talent? What are the benefits that we offer? How do we make sure that we have great performance management muscle in place, whatever that might look like? What does our office design look like to our external branding, our website, our marketing campaigns, our events, our communications to our supporters? To me, the through line there is that you're, if, you, if you're so driven in values and you know your, your principles, are able to see a synergy between the way everything works. So my background is is really in production, project management, getting things done, seeing the the gaps between between different functions, and then helping to build a process to connect them um, or a communication flow to connect them. So my COO role today is probably somewhat similar to some of those early tendencies of project management or event management mixed with this concept of working with big ideas and disruptive thoughts and leaders, uh, and also tying in this concept of branding from the inside out. So I think my COO role at Charity Water is really unique. I think a lot of COO roles um, are unique as it relates to the type of company you're in at what stage and at what time and the people that are around you. What I find is I'm oftentimes just filling the gaps of an opportunity um, or a need that has presented itself for the time being until I can hire the expert. I firmly believe that there's a need in the world for generalists and a need in the world for people with CPAs. To your very clued in guess, I don't have one. <laughs> My husband does. but uh, and, and all that allows me to do is um, uh, to learn the language enough to fake it, um, to, to, talk, to talk, to know enough to ask the right questions. Um, and each part of my role as COO at Charity Water has allowed me to become 
um, better in another part because I'm able to get smarter by the experts and, and the subject matter expertise that is around me. Uh, even if I don't have it. It's actually interesting uh, as a quick aside, when I worked at Showtime before I <clears throat> took the leap to nonprofit, I, I seem to have been uh, able to develop a skill to be able to explain financial information to mm-hmm. non-financial people. And so I was actually deported <laughs> to the finance department mm-hmm. to for nine months to train people in the finance department about how to make their reports to the business heads actually make sense and actually enable them to inform the business decisions that they make. And I don't have a CPA and I don't have an MBA, but um, sometimes it's just about really good communication skills. I could not help but hear you were use the word creative, disruptive founder. And I just wanted to just, just for the record... <clears throat> I am assuming that when you use the word disruptor, you mean it as a compliment is rather than a pejorative. Is that correct, Ms. Letta? Absolutely. I mean it as uh, one of the things I love most about the organization and to your point of why I'm probably more passionate even today than I was, is that we're never... Um, we're never afraid to push past a boundary, to see something through a new lens, to ask ourselves a harder question. It has continued to expand um, the opportunities, the challenges that we that we're willing to take on, because you know it's not about disruption to like make a mess and and you know get in everybody's way. It's about disruption to say, is there another way to be doing this? Could we look at this problem and solve it in a different way? Could we could we see this and find a new solution that hasn't been thought of before? And sometimes it doesn't need a new solution, right? Like, so sometimes that's not the case as it relates to our work in, in terms of bringing people clean water. Um, we're not trying to find the next new technology to develop a well, right? Like that exists. We know it's there. We're not experts and we're not trying to disrupt there, but we thought there was room for disruption and reinvention and what it meant um, to to kind of tell a story and inspire supporters as a part of a, a charity. I uh, The only reason I brought it up is I have many, many listeners <laughs> who... Um, probably have followed founders, uh, work for founders, and um, they might see that word disruptive in a different way from the way that you do it. I just wanted to just flag that. So so let me be clear. You got no HR recruiting experience. You've got 15 staff members, and you have this wacky title called executive producer – And it sounded to me, based on the conversation we had, that kind of your charge was, okay, get the right people on the bus and build a strong culture at Charity Water. And, oh, titles are either misleading or alien to anyone looking for a great nonprofit gig. Okay, so we're trying to find great people to put on the bus. We're trying to build a strong culture. And you're going to look for these people, but you're actually, you have a whole different approach to titles, which I think is kind of intriguing, but titles are very outward facing. They tell somebody on the outside what the job is. So I was actually just sort of wondering, how did you approach this task of building what has turned out to be sort of a model-y, innovative, startup-y kind of culture at Charity Water? And how did you think about going to get the right people on the bus? Because clearly you grew. Yeah. Yeah, it's a great question. Um, And I think we've learned, you know, I think it's a learning process. I think when we, you know, first of all, when I first came in, 
as executive producer, which you're right, it is a funky title. Actually, my first day was producer. And then I think the second day, like after the consulting, then the second day was, we decided that this is executive producer, you know? <laughs> I guess you must've had a f- very good first day. First day. Yeah. I don't know. It just really worked, worked well for me on that first day. It's great. Um, um, but, but actually what that was, was, was deciding that this role should be at the executive level. Um, and the executive team was newly formed at the time a year in, but, but the role was brought on I think as we were growing really quickly and there was this clarity that things were siloed and the, in the same way that we were siloed, it was also an organization that everybody was kind of working towards the same thing. So if it was, for example, the gala, which I was brought in to consult on, it was like 15 people who worked at the organization at that time were all now, okay, turned their focus towards that. So it was almost like project-based work instead of like the way the functional departments work together. So before it even got into adding people to the bus, the first year was asking the question of, of, I think the charge was break down silos and just like kind of improve processes and also project manages some of these bigger initiatives. So the whole org doesn't have to be doing them all, all the time. I think what that, what that's been for me in my, my career is instead of solving, starting with solving the problem, I kind of say, let me go ask the question to see if that actually is the problem. So my first set at Charity Water um, in that position of executive producer was just to kind of go do a diagnostic and not because I knew anything about what the answers were going to be to the problems that might have um, come from this, but more because I was just curious of like, what am I actually trying to solve here? Are there really silos or like, what is it? So at that time I just went down and sat with everybody and asked them, you know, like what's working and what's not working and kind of took this diagnostic and then, and then started to figure out what the themes were and then how we might solve that. And that ended up breaking into um, something that looks very simple, you know, when you think about operate operations and perhaps I was learning as I was going there in terms of who, what people or roles are missing, uh, what functions are missing, what, where are the gaps between how these functions work together? Um, and what are just like, things that don't exist that need to, you know, an example back then was like, we just didn't, we didn't performance management wasn't something we talked about. Like our performance plans were based off of, you know, Netflixes and they were, there was kind of ad hoc and we hadn't like built our, our performance process around our values. So it was a lot of intuitive learning. And I find that uh, people and culture, as we call it, to your point of internal versus external, which is human relations or HR. um, In those early days, having Having that come not just, of course, there's compliance and expertise that needs to be there, but having that be built from the core of the organization, I think, is really an important thing that has really set us apart and, and how we've been able to maintain our values and our, and, and, um, our talent alignment around that over the years. Um, so I, I might want to come back to the whole silo thing. Cause I, um, I often think that silos are symptoms of some root cause within an organization and that asking those questions, you actually unearth what the root cause is that's leading to the silos. So we might, and I, I deal with a lot of clients where leadership teams are dysfunctional because there are these silos and, um, it's a huge, huge problem in the sector. Um, so maybe coming back, um, I would like you to describe for me, if you would, kind of the culture you were aiming for. And when we spoke the other day, you mentioned guiding principles and vision that might be useful to bring in here. And I'm seeing more and more, certainly on the corporate side, more and more of these kind of uh, recruitment, talent, culture jobs. Uh, and so it is... 
Uh, and I am a huge proponent of the notion that attributes uh, almost supersede a particular experience or expertise. Um, so describe the culture you're aiming for. And uh, you mentioned that guiding principles and vision sort of um, uh, uh, kind of drove that. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, for the, for the record, I think this has been figuring out how the, the, the guiding principles, the, the values, um, the attributes that are important to charity water and the culture we want to build, how that is attached to, to your recruiting process. I think it was a really um, interesting learning curve as we were, were growing quickly. Cause in the beginning, what you find yourself saying a lot of is we suck at marketing. Yeah. I need, right. I, I need an X. I yeah, need right, a like, y. Yeah, exactly. Every, so the answer is always, uh, we suck at product or we suck at marketing or we need to be better at this. And so then, and then the very, the very easy answer always is we need a CMO. We need a chief product officer. We need a this, we need a that, we need a COO, whatever. Uh, and, and I feel like that is where it is so easy to fall down in any industry, especially like I think in a fast growing early stage organization for profit or nonprofit, um, because then you are looking for a title and you're not looking for a person. And I think that changes because you're looking for somebody that's held this title. And at least in Charity Water's case, what we have found nine times out of 10 is even if you've held the title that we're, we're recruiting for, you haven't done this job. Um, we're really unique in the way that we work. We're unique in that we are, you know, a 501c3 nonprofit, fully focused on bringing people clean water with an incredible core set of values that guide us, but also a very innovative founder and a culture of excellence and a drive um, that is, is, you know, pretty fast, uh, speed. And we, we want you to, a lot of folks are coming from technology. They're coming from startups they are coming from for-profit. So finding that hybrid has been interesting. And I think the, to, I'll get to the question of what we look for, but I think the point is we've, we've, we've figured out what we look for by finding the wrong things often by looking for a title, not a person. And so as that has grown and we've learned from, from what works and what doesn't work, um, we've moved a, away from, from, and it doesn't mean we don't have titles. We use titles to recruit. We have titles internally, but what we mean and the attributes we're looking for in, t in people has become more um, precise for us. For example, something that we like to talk about is humble confidence. Um, and that, that speaks to the agility that we require and need no matter how advanced in your career is, because this is a unique place for us. And even, you know, any place, any new business, any business, any new org, any new org is going to be unique. And so this ability to say, I'm confident in my skills and expertise, and, and I'm, I'm not afraid to voice my opinions. I have experience that is valuable, but I'm also humble enough to say, I don't know how you guys do it. And before I assume you're doing it wrong, though we might be, I'm going to ask questions because I want to know the answers, not because I want to tell you mine. <laughs> and I think like finding that in the interview process is really, is a really interesting thing. We also look for kind people. I like to take people to to lunch and see how they, uh, treat the person who's taking our order. You know, I like to just like, do they hold the door? How do they, we, we ask our, um, whoever's sitting up at our front desk, we ask Saxon like, Hey, were they nice to you? Do they say hi? And we'll, you know, just getting that feedback of like this person and their kind of whole well-roundedness as, as somebody that will work well in our, in our organization. We always lean towards optimism. That's something that's really important for us. Like we are glass half full, Let's hear the next idea. Let's think about why, how we'd make it happen instead of why it's not possible. And we really like that in our, our people. Um, it just, it makes for a lot more fun. <laughs> we have a lot, a lot more exciting conversations. Um, and we have pretty good, you know, we have enough kind of reality in place to say, okay, now let's figure out how that can actually be done. 
Um, so, so we look for optimism and some of those things have become, as you, as you said, the attributes are, are equally important. Um, and of course, depending on the, the role, equally important, if not more important, um, because we've found that we've had a great success in, um, really building talent from within the organization. So today and every department in the whole organization, we have people that have been here for five, six, seven, going on eight years beyond myself, you know, at the highest tenure in an organization that's only 12 years old. Um, and to us, what's really cool is those people have grown. They've jumped to departments. They've, they've, you know, taken, they've had promotions, new responsibilities. It's not always this clear linear path. Um, but that's really exciting for us and to have that represented in every single department, um, tells us that maybe we're better at, at, at building and growing talent. And that's where we should focus as opposed to necessarily always kind of trying to bring somebody in at the top. Uh, when um, I often coach CEO clients and talk about uh, attrition and my belief that the, um, the number one reason that someone leaves an organization, and of course there are many, but is not usually whether they have the skills to do the job. It's whether they whether they're missing key attributes or whether they actually came to the organization for the wrong reason or they don't have that fire in their belly for the mm -hmm. mission. And those are the and those things actually have nothing to do whether you have a particular degree in a particular thing. So mm -hmm. it totally. does it does feel like you are really focusing in on the right things. Question for you about people uh, of your staff today. Um, I'm going to guess that you actually might even have a disproportionate number of people who have come from the corporate sector. Is that true? Yeah, absolutely. And, and what's the fit there like? Uh, I often find that you have to be super careful about uh, recruiting people from corporate America, um, um, not to be overly stereotypical, but I think sometimes they come with an arrogance that they that they know how to manage, they know how to run a business, and um, and there can there can be a, there can be a tension between the corporate folks and the people who are sort of uh, kind of raised in the nonprofit sector. And I wonder if you experience that, and um, and how you navigate that. Yeah, it's a great question. I think I think it's true. Um, I think that we do, we do have a disproportionate amount of people that are not from nonprofit. Um, and, and we have had our fair share of getting it wrong and trying to find that right person at any, you know, at any level. I think part of it is, um, a lot of folks say, okay, I'm ready to do good. Uh, I want to, you know, work for a, a nonprofit or a mission-based organization and like there, or, you know, or I want to work in a startup environment or blah, blah, blah. And then you come and you're like, no, you didn't, you don't actually want this because it comes with other things. You know, you're not used to working on a tight budget with a lean team where you're, you're actually rolling up your sleeves and doing the same work, uh, as well as setting the strategy. Um, and so I think, so part of it is, is, is trying to be more intuitive in the process, which is this somebody just searching for something a little bit more meaningful, or does this person actually want to take on this lifestyle. Um, I think that there's, there's also just been places where we've gotten it really right. And I think we, it, it goes back to me to this humble confidence. How do they, what questions do they ask versus what do they tell us about? You know, you'll have somebody come in and do an interview and say, have you ever thought about this, this, or this? <laughs> 
Yeah, but you could have started those as like questions that you could have asked these like questions in a different way about what we're doing or why we're doing it, you know. And so I think that you can just get that um, sense from from folks when you when you when you meet them. But in the same in the same way, I think we've we've found amazing talent from from the for profit sector that have joined us and that have been you know with our organization. Um, and growing with our organization that have brought that expertise and, and in a way like this, this level of working, you know, whether it's, you know, from a tech in a tech company and you're bringing in like a different way of thinking about, um, how we do, um, our engineering work, or if you're in an agency and you think about, Hey, this is how it's been structured in this agency. Would you guys want to try that? You're like that expertise, that outside expertise is usually really valuable. Um, as long as you're willing to combine that with learning what's unique about us. So I think it's also harder the longer you're in your career. We've um, had success with it, but it, it just, it gets harder because you, you get more used to a certain way. Completely. So there's a couple of things that I want to tease out from there. One is, um, uh, so I too, like you came, uh, across the bridge from corporate America to nonprofit and, um, you know, having spent, been part of the management team that launched MTV, yeah. I'm very comfortable in a startup kind of environment. Um, and I, I made a bet when I decided to move over to the nonprofit sector, I thought, okay, so startups are very high energy. There's a sense of urgency. There's um, usually a lack of resources. You're trying to make the case statement to get the money you need to launch the product or the service. And, and I bet that's a, I bet that's very similar to the nonprofit gestalt. Um, do you uh, do you agree with that? And is that part of what can make corporate people actually very successful in nonprofits? Hundred percent. I completely agree with that. I mean, I think it's very true at Charity Water. I think it's why you would hear a lot of people, at least here, say, and myself included, I didn't see myself working in nonprofit until I saw what a nonprofit today could look like. I had it wasn't even something that had ever crossed my mind. I mean, the the, the fact that my uh, career has taken me here continues to. Um, just excite and delight me because it is certainly nothing I could have ever foreseen. Um, and it's funny because in a way it all circles, it circles back. Right. But, but um, all that to be said, I think very much so that that mentality of very high passion and, and camaraderie people aligned towards a, towards a, a mission, but also bringing unique talents. I mean, for me, it just makes the perfect, it's the perfect, you know, uh, recipe. One of the things I love the most about Charity Water is that while each function is completely diverse with different types of expertise, because we're all aligned in a value, aligned in a way of thinking and aligned towards a certain mission and a certain way of achieving that mission, our vision, um, it creates a synchronicity in this, this like really beautiful, um, dynamic and well-rounded environment that I don't know how you create without those individual pieces. So I completely agree. And I think it does make people who come from for-profit and probably especially for profit, whether you're in a big company or not, but you're working in some something where you're your hands on something where it is there's high there's high stakes um, and a lot of passion, but you're limited and restrained and constrained in some ways. I think that that brings it as well. So we are talking with Lauren Letta, who's the chief operating officer at Charity Water. She's into year ten at a nonprofit that is to many the gold standard in the in the sector. 
she has kind of shape-shifted over this decade, which is probably a key to her retention, Mm -hmm. and has been instrumental in managing the extraordinary growth of Charity Water, building a five-star team, and maintaining and building the unique work culture there. But she's not just an insider. She'll tell you that a great COO at Charity Water um, works both the inside and the outside, and she is the key to the branding and marketing work that uh, that is the key to Charity Water's success and the envy of many in the sector. Um, Rapid growth is really hard to manage, Lauren, like really hard. Navigating change, super hard. Um, any uh, any observations about what you what you've done right to manage the growth and maintain the culture you were so intent on building? It's mm, a great question. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> and it, you know, all of these questions, everything for me about the the ecosystem of an organization, the people within it, and how it grows is is such a living organism, right? Like that's it's not a lesson you ever finish learning, and it changes. Um, and that is very much so the culture of Charity Water, which is like, we don't, we don't believe in restructures. It's just, we're constantly looking at what is the best way to organize our people and our work to achieve something. And so there's not like, oh, big news, we're rolling out a restructure. You report to this person and this thing's over here now. It's, it's more just like, Hey, we just learned something last week or found this opportunity, or we want to try this thing. What if we, how do we, we think about this concept of like, how do we make it safe to try it this way? And I think, um, I think that mentality, which we've learned over the years, and we've worked with um, a personal mentor of mine named Aaron Dignan, who has just written a book called Brave New Work and works exclusively on how to help essentially evolutionary organizations. How do you think about new ways to to organize uh, your people, your ideas, your, your organization in a way that will allow you to grow rapidly and also be agile? Um, that way of thinking has been really useful for us. And I think it allows us to also look at ourselves through a lens of saying, what could we be doing differently? Um, and, and to constantly kind of both be, be striving for excellence, but also challenging ourselves to see, to see what's working or not working. I also think that we've tried to embed, we really try to hire for our values, generosity and passion and excellence. And, and we really try to, to make those clear, in our recruiting process so that we're bringing people in that will actually hold the whole organization accountable to it. I don't believe, you know, in my opinion at Charity Water, culture is not top down, even with such a strong founder. Um, and even with me being here for so long, like it is, it is pushed from every angle of this organization. If somebody feels like we are not practicing our innovation value, they will, they will question us on it. If they think that innovation is in conflict with excellence, they will question us on that. And they will, they will pose, you know, um, challenging statements about how do these two things go together. So I feel like we really try to make, to hire people that again, and it goes back to that humble confidence and optimism. We want to ask our, we want to believe we're doing great and we're, we're doing it well. We also want to believe we know what we're doing. We also want to have the humility to, to know that we, we don't know it all and there might be a new way of looking at it. And so I think as we've built the culture, as we've built the organization, as we've gone through high growth phases, or even a period of, there was a period where we had our first year, which wasn't a growth year. We didn't, we didn't say like, oh, this isn't our fault. We said like, what's happening inside the organization, outside the organization? What have we learned? What have we done? And how are we going to pivot? And creating an organization that like our values stay clear, our mission and vision are clear, but we're able to be agile in, in how we organize our work, um, I think has allowed us to be malleable over that time period to keep up 
in some step with the growth. I will also say that I also, I feel that we're always two years behind and five years ahead at the same time. So, <laughs> wow. so I don't think, you know, it's like we're looking towards 2025 and thinking about who we might be then. And we're also still, you know, uh, delivering on promises we made a year ago. And that's kind of unique to, to our model and the way we think about proof and transparency. And so, um, I, you know, we're working, we're kind of always firing on all cylinders not sure how we're going to fit anything else in. (laughs) Um, I think a a big takeaway if you're listening closely is, you know, I do a lot of strategy work with clients and we always talk about the importance of values. And sometimes I think it doesn't really sink into people. They, they, They think that that's a perfunctory part of a process of strategy. You do your vision, you do your mission, you do your values. And, um, values at their best, and it sounds like we got that going on at Charity Water, is that they become certain criteria. We make choices based on whether they align with these things. They're not just these kind of like, you know, the Girl Scout pledge or something like that. And I think far too often people really misunderstand how incredibly important values um, values can be. I have about 4 million qu- other questions, but probably <laughs> only time for a handful more. Um, in our conversation earlier this week, you described yourself as competitive and ambitious. Here you have a kind of non-hierarchical institution um, where it, maybe there's not really a, a clear ladder to climb, right? There's no clear path to a promotion. Like all of those standard things that feed the competitive, ambitious person. Um, so I just wondered how how those attributes get fed for you at Charity Water. Yeah, yeah, it's a, it's a good point. I think that there's, we're working on that healthy balance right now, actually, as, as the organization continues to grow of finding like, what is the, what is the structure of growth? What does my career trajectory look like here? And how do we also allow for enough agility in the organization and flexibility and leanness, right? Like there's not, there's not always for an exhibition. Um, so I think that is a balance and a dance. I think in my case, and, and mine is, is is you is unique probably partially to the time, but others have fallen in my done similar similar trajectories within the organization. Which is each role that I've held here has been a new role held for the first time, uh, for the most part. And that uh, you know from executive producer or producer <laughs> on day one to executive producer to chief of staff to COO. Um, part of that to me speaks to the fact that like title hasn't driven the the organizational chart, um, or it certainly hasn't driven my trajectory feeling personally. Um, when I've looked at my, and the, you know, the reason I'm still here is every day I get up, if, if I was bored, I wouldn't keep coming. There's some new challenge, some new opportunity. Um, and then, you know, every once in a while you go, wait, what's my job title? And like, does it make sense? <laughs> I wanna, so that's been my personal experience, but that's partially because I kind of have, was in this position navigating the internal and the external elements of the organization. Um, and, and on an, on the executive team, you know, from an early formation of it. Um, that being said, I think we, we do want people to come to the organization and, and ideally have a clarity on what it would look like to grow for them. And I think in certain departments, it's a clearer path. Some certain departments do have more of a structure of this is what it will look like to evolve through this team. Um, and this is what it looks like as we grow, how this team will grow and where the opportunities will expand. I think in other, historically at the organizations, a lot of growth has come, um, from this kind of, not necessarily a linear step towards 
um, or, or kind of trajectory straight step towards, okay, now you're the, your boss's boss and now you're your senior manager. Now you're the director or whatever it was. It's more like there's an opportunity. There's a challenge. There's something I see that could be tried that we haven't tried before. There's a hole or there's a gap or there's an idea. And how can I start to expand that? And then how does that become part of the domain that I work on? That's been kind of similar to the organization. We have um, somebody, for example, uh, Jordan, who's an amazing tenured uh, team member. She was hired to work as an office manager. First big project she took on was related to our uh, move uh, of, a, of a new office space. From there, about a year and a half in, she she really got engulfed in the culture and started to to kind of take on and advocate for internal events and some of our our staff meetings. And then from there, um, recently she was working in people and culture, and then kind of started to ha- we we had a great need in recruiting because we were hiring all these people, and she just has really embodied the culture, really understands our values, the different departments in the organization, and so she started recruiting, and now she's moving into a full-time recruiting position with a trajectory and people and culture, you know, after five or so years here. And so like part of it does start to stable out towards a career path. And I think it's just, you know, allowing the flexibility to learn, especially the earlier you are in the role for here. It's like, you know, learn a little bit about what it could be and then evolve and then we can put you on a path. So, so we try to find a balance between it. Well, I think that what you, I mean, one of the things I wrote here is um, I, how many times I hear this when you look at a resume of somebody in their thirties and somebody says, well, I don't want to hire them because they bounce around a lot. Well, yeah. first of all, millennials bounce. Mm-hmm. So it, first of all, millennials bounce, but they don't seem to bounce at charity water. And so I think the shorter answer to my question, if I may be so bold, sure, yeah. is that you have fed your ambition and competition by ambition by seeking out new opportunities involving in learning and doing new things. And I suspect that, you know, competition gets fed actually by being really good at delivering against your impact. And I know that that's something you care a lot about. Now, I want to say that I know I have you only for a short period of time. So I have two other questions really quickly. Um, In 2000, uh, in 10, when you came on board, you took this bite out of the nonprofit Apple. You said you never imagined yourself there. Um, when I when I decided to be a nonprofit ED in 1997, I figured I'd do like a five-year tour of duty, and then I'd go back to from whence I came. Like, I, I don't know why I thought that, but I took a bite of the apple, and I never looked back. Um are you are you looking back? Do you you know do you see yourself going back from from whence you came at some point? Um, and and maybe we'll make sure that Scott Harrison doesn't actually listen to this podcast. <laughs> no, yeah, no, that's okay. No, um, you know, I maybe to a fault. My I'm somebody that kind of looks forward but doesn't overly plan these things. Um, that being said. I don't know where I would, what would, what I would look for next. What I continue to find is that within this organization, I, I feel fed in the places I need to feel fed, which has been creative creativity and innovation. I've always loved fashion. And it's been recent, really interesting recently because um, we were just at a gala for FIT last night. I was on a panel yesterday at FIT with um, a, a designer I and a human being that I really admire, Philip Lim. Um, the way uh, we, we have these exceptional, we have a lot of exceptional partners that work in the fashion industry. And it's this really interesting thing of the way that my, my career starting in fashion and with aspirations to work with designers has somehow led me back to uh, them, even though that I'm in a nonprofit. So currently I feel very fed. I don't know that I would feel that way in every nonprofit. Right. I don't, I don't know that there is many, if any other organizations that I could really see myself in. Um, 
but I love startups uh, in this kind of environment of being yeah. able to build and go fast. Um, yeah, so it, it feels like right place, right time, right, right. role that has evolved over time. Um, I have this whole big conversation, which maybe I'll save for another conversation, but actually I'll ask you t- a tiny, tiny question about this, about a very big subject. You're building the people, you're building the culture, and you are a founder-driven organization, right? Um, do you guys talk about succession planning? Yeah, it's a great question. We we are constantly talking about what does it, what is Scott's role within the organization, uh, and then and how does the organization rely on Scott filling that role? So yes, he's CEO and founder, but what does that mean? Um, one of the things we've tried to do, for example, is to make sure that everybody that joins the organization has their own story, right? Like, yes, Scott Harrison is the founder. His founding story is incredibly compelling. It has driven an immense amount of um, support and generosity throughout our first 12 years. We have um, other amazing storytellers. Story is so key to who we are. It's something Scott's uniquely good at. We try to make sure everybody here has a story that they can tell. Um, we think about, we constantly, as much as we think about the organization's agility and what the organization is doing, we think about Scott's and what's his role. As an example, last year, he was uh, working on Thirst. He spent most of the year previously writing the book and then last year, most of the year promoting it. And we had to make sure that whatever roles he had previously filled, we could fill otherwise. So by kind of reinventing his role over time and saying, hey, you're going to start focusing here and not here, that allows the organization to find where we're weak or not. Um, so I and think then it's, to it's, fill those it, gaps and to fill those gaps. Yeah. And so that has been, I would say maybe over the last five years or maybe a little less, it's something that we've been much more hyper-focused on. It's something we talk to our donors and our supporters about, you know, what happens if Scott doesn't come back to work tomorrow. So it is absolutely, um, an important part of how we think about how we grow. We think, you know, even Scott writing thirst and, and we have a 20 minute film about the founding, um, kind of history of the organization those pieces of, of the history and the story are so important to us scaling beyond his personal story because there's there's way to share it that don't have to come from his mouth, as an example. Absolutely. Absolutely. So um, while I feel like there's probably another half hour just on that topic, mm-hmm. we're going to let you go because I know you have a presenta- staff presentation to do. Um, any final thoughts, any last words of advice to the nonprofit leaders out there about building a great team and holding on to them? Mm, that's great. Um, for us, we've continued to learn all the way back to what we talked about, you know, in the very beginning, it's about the types of people, um, the attributes that they bring their passion, their value alignment. I, I think you're, you're an incredibly lucky organization. If you're able to start from a place of vision, mission, and values, and you're not three or four or five years in trying to write them on the wall. Um, I think that's, you know, I think if you, sh- if your values need to be written on a wall, you're, you're probably not living them. Um, I think if you're hiring people that are worried about their titles, you're probably hiring the wrong people. Um, Those are excellent pieces of advice, Lauren. <laughs> um, excellent that's, pieces yeah, of advice yeah. to the, and I think we should quit while you're, while you're ahead. That's a, <laughs> that's an awesome way to end. Um, I need you, yeah. um so I want to say thank you for joining, um, and, um, there are a lot of listeners hungry for the kinds of things that you had to say today. So I'm very grateful um, that you said yes when we asked and grateful for your time and also grateful for the work you do at Charity Water, however green with envy the rest of the sector may be about you. Um, so thank you very much for joining us. 
Thank you. This is a blast. Thanks for letting me ramble on. Uh, you're very welcome. So uh, in closing, um, in addition to this podcast, you will always find free content at my blog for board and staff leaders at joangary.com. Um, you can always join our Facebook group at Thriving Nonprofit with Joan Gary. You'll join about, oh, I don't know, 35,000 kindred spirits. And learn more about the Nonprofit Leadership Lab, which is our online membership site for board and staff leaders of small nonprofits. We try to kind of figure out ways we can help different organizations and different leaders at all stages of the lifespan of their organizations. Um, and we do that because, um, uh, we feel a, uh, a drive and a mission to be advocates and supporters and champions for your work. We'll see you next time. And thanks again. Joan Gary's obsession with supporting your work takes many forms. Subscribe to her blog at joangary.com reaching over 100,000 visitors monthly from over 170 countries. Explore the Nonprofit Leadership Lab, the best online resource for board and staff leaders of small nonprofits at nonprofitleadershiplab.com. Join 15,000 kindred spirits on Facebook at Thriving Nonprofit with Joan Gary.